Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. How are you doing? Or, as the computer in Star Trek IV asked Mr. Spock, how do you feel? As leaders, we have to check in with ourselves often and ask these questions, but we also have to do something about them. We're going to talk about self-care, not only how important it is, but also how to prioritize it and make sure you're doing it. Let's get right into it. It's the seventh episode of the seventh season of Voyager, Body and Soul. The Delta Flyer, with Ensign Kim, the Doctor, and Seven of Nine, are out investigating a comet while the USS Voyager is off doing Delta Quadrant stuff. The Doctor's finding some cool stuff, and everything is going great. Well, until it isn't. We're under attack! An alien vessel is attacking them and charging them with a crime. You're transporting a suspected photonic insurgent through Locurum space. These Locurum are at war with photonics, or holograms, and have read the Doctor as being on board. To save the Doctor, they upload his program into Seven's Borg tech. She claims the Doctor's program has been destroyed by the Lokirum weapons. You killed him and now he's dead! They arrest Seven and Kim anyway, and are taking them to their homeworld for a trial. Kim is kind of freaking out. The Doctor is gone. They're locked in a cell. And then, well, uh, Seven actually tells the whole story. The reports of my decompilation have been greatly exaggerated. Yep. The Doctor is basically co-inhabiting Seven's body. He's in control, and she's along for the ride. I saw everything. This is the first time he's really experienced a lot of what biologicals take for granted, right? Smell, feel, pain. He, in her body, bangs up against the force field in the cell just to experience that sensation. Over on Voyager... Tuvok is not doing well. With the doctor gone, Tom Paris is handling it, and luckily he is well prepared for this situation. This wouldn't be the kind of imbalance that comes around once every seven years. Yep, that's right. If you're keeping score, Tuvok is Vulcan and is experiencing Pon Far. That's the mating drive that Vulcans experience every seven years. Tuvok wants to use a treatment the doctor cooked up along with meditation to get through it, but Tom has other plans. Plans that, of course, only Tom Paris would have. I do have one area of expertise that might help. It's a holodeck. Tuvok resists. He's going to stay loyal to his wife. I am a married man. But Paris makes a strong case, and he begrudgingly agrees. If I had known I was going to be emptying the holodeck biofilters, I wouldn't have had so much for breakfast. And it works. I have fully recovered. Thank you for your assistance. Ah, don't mention it. I just hope everything was okay. Unfortunately, the holodeck triggers the Lokirum patrols, and they go after the Voyager. Janeway flexes. Your sensors should also confirm that our weapons are ready to fire. We're both reasonable people. I suggest a compromise. And they agree to escort them outside of their space. 
Dr. Seven is really enjoying their time. Mm, I have no idea that eating was such a sensual experience. The tastes, the textures, feeling it slide down Seven's esophagus. It's, it's exquisite. They get way out of hand with this. Eventually downing cheesecakes. Yes, that's plural. Cheesecakes. And so much more food. They even get drunk. They get to do a lot of that because the Lokirim are questioning them and they're responding in a way that only the doctor could. Can it be used to create bioweapons? Not unless you count Mr. Neelix's Bolian souffle. They get on very well with their captors, becoming friends with the one acting as their doctor and the captain taking maybe a little too much of a liking. I once thought this was the most beautiful sight in the sector. He says this as he's showing Dr. Seven a pulsar, and then... I see now that I was wrong. Nice try, my dude, but swing and a miss. I'm sorry. I thought you were wrong. I, I didn't mean to offend you. It wasn't all for naught, though. In between the beautiful scenery and the failed come-ons, Seven was able to observe the command codes for the Lokirum ship. They use that to send their location to Voyager, who breaks away from their escort... I'm out of here. ...and heads in for the save. Voyager uses the command codes, along with some help from Seven, to disable the ship's weapons and shields. In the fray, the Lokirum captain is injured badly. They convince the crew to let the Doctor help him, and he does. The Doctor, Seven, and Harry Kim return to Voyager, and this Lokirum crew might have a slightly more enlightened view of photonic life forms. On the ship, the Doctor and Seven enjoy a meal together as she describes the dishes to him. A kind of weird, but fun episode that above anything else really showcases Jerry Ryan and her next level acting skills. It also really lays some groundwork for the exploration of holograms and their potential sentience and the rights that come with that. But I am most excited to talk about some of the acting and the choices made in this one. Come to Gork's Gork's is fun. Come right now. Go Gork. Run! Are you a leader? A Star Trek fan? Do you love the lessons and strategies taught on the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast? Visit jeffakin.com forward slash store to get shirts, mugs, and other great merchandise to show off where you have learned all the great strategies and lessons that are taught on the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Visit jeffakin.com forward slash store or click on the link in the show notes to support the podcast and look good doing it. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. There was a real deep story in this one that they kind of hand-waved away, focusing on their captivity instead of bodily autonomy. But they didn't completely ignore it. The doctor was literally inhabiting and controlling Seven's body, and all she could do was observe. Imagine being an observer in your own body, powerless to take control. You've had quite a shock to your system. Let me explain what's happened. I know exactly what's happened. You've been abusing my body. This would have been a cool story to explore, but it wasn't at all what this episode was meant to be. I'm just grateful they acknowledged it. Instead of, instead of diving into this, right, they focused more on the duty of a captured officer being to escape. And that's cool, too. Just a cool sci-fi concept to think about a little bit, right? Maybe, 
Maybe what especially made this okay for me was that they even took a step to have them reach an agreement. They didn't leave this unspoken. You're saving my life. I want you to know how grateful I am. Try to remember that the next time you're tempted to overindulge. And this even came up a few times when Dr. Seven had to say no to more food or more booze. Now, if you ever do a search for Voyager GIFs or GIFs or memes, you're going to see a lot of images from this episode. Seven with her hair down looking, looking more than a little loose, kind of drunk. And the doctor making that squishy, weird face. And there's even more. It was cool. It was cool when I watched this one and I, I literally turned into the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. I was like pointing at the TV and I'm like, that, that's the thing. Oh, oh. Ah, ah, he said it. He said it. They did it. They did the thing. Being this is a leadership podcast, I do feel like I need to point out that Janeway was honestly a bully in this one, threatening the Locurum and even blasting their escort to go off and get the Delta Flyer. She was swinging a heavy hammer. And that was, that was pretty uncool of her. Oh, and one more really cool story buried in this one that would have been cool to dive into. I mean, ultimately, they, they do later in this season, kind of. But later in the seventh season of Voyager, they explore holograms and their potential for becoming sentient. Echoes of measure of a man in the next generation, you know, with data. But this one kind of planted some seeds for that. And the, the, the Locurum are basically at war with holograms, or photonics, as they call them. When Dr. Seven is working in their med lab, it comes up that holograms were a part of normal life for these people. And then they apparently rose up. This reminds me of the Kalon storyline in the second and third seasons of the Orville. As they talk about it, the Doctor sees it from the photonic viewpoint. And it leads to a short back and forth that I wish we got more of. Before he joined the insurgency... Why did he do that? I ask myself that question every day. Is it possible he felt subjugated? I don't see how. He lived his own life, pursued his own interests. He was part of our family. But again, in a roundabout way, we, we revisit this theme later in the season. But like I said, the magic in this episode is Jerry Ryan. She is playing the doctor for most of this episode, and she's amazing. I read that Robert Picardo filmed some of these scenes as the doctor for her to study and mimic. That prep really shines through. Her voice changes, her mannerisms, how she carries herself, all so different and all really well done. This is a very entertaining episode that also has some Vulcan Ponfar stuff in it. You're not going to get a lot of story out of it, but this was an absolute clinic and how to act from Jerry Ryan. Command codes verified. How do you take care of yourself? Leaders often have to share the emotional impacts and burdens of many people. It's hard enough to handle these emotions and stresses of our own lives, but sharing them with 5, 10, 50, 200, maybe even more people? How do you do that? Thanks to Dr. Seven's approach to sensations and experiences, we get a glimpse into how to actually take care of ourselves. I also get to talk about one of my favorite subjects, choice. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. How often have you heard someone say, or how many times have you said, I have no choice? 
We hear it all the time on TV and in movies, usually right before somebody gets hurt or they go to war. But we hear it in our real lives all the time, too. As of the time of this recording, layoffs have been in the news a lot and a common refrain from CEOs who often still get some pretty sweet bonuses after they do these layoffs is that they had no choice. The Lokirim captain even pulls this out when Dr. Seven confronts him about arresting them and Ensign Kim. I hope you understand, I had no choice. I was just following orders, I've heard that before. Now when I hear excuses like this, I call bullshit. You always have a choice, always. That doesn't mean it's a pleasant or even acceptable choice, but you do have one. I will acknowledge that we often feel like we don't have a choice, that we have to do a thing or bad things will happen. But even in those cases, we still have a choice. I'm reminded of an episode of Babylon 5 I watched just a few weeks ago for my other podcast, Babylon 5 for the first time. In the third season episode, Point of No Return, Major... Mm, Spoiler alert, go ahead, go ahead and skip ahead like 15 seconds if you haven't watched that episode yet and you're watching along with us on the podcast, but Majel Barrett shows up. Yes, Star Trek herself is on Babylon 5. She plays the widow of an emperor and it's believed that she still speaks for him and that she certainly does. She drops some real wisdom in this one. But to this question of choice, she says, well, There is always choice. We say there is no choice, only to comfort ourselves with a decision we have already made. Loxana Troy hitting us with the tough messages, even in an entirely different universe. Ah, I love it. These moments pop up in our work quite a bit. Sometimes it's when you're setting a schedule. Sorry I scheduled you to close, but, but I had no choice. Or it might be more extreme. I hate that we're having to lay all 1,200 of you off, but, but I have no choice. I mean, really? You really had no choice? Let's play these out. Let's say you don't schedule the person. What happens? You're short a person for a shift? Maybe you have to cover. Maybe somebody works a double or a shift they haven't been trained on. You see, those are like three or four choices right off the top of my head. They're not necessarily good, but they are choices. You need to lay people off? Well, let's say you don't. So you run out of money and shut the business down. Maybe you, as the owner or the CEO, maybe you don't get paid as much or at all. So first part, not great. They laid off dozens of employees this week, but that didn't stop the CEO from collecting a massive bonus for himself. Or maybe if you're in the CEO or executive director type position, you just refuse to do it. Yeah, the board's probably going to fire you. But again, here off the top of my head, three choices. Now, I'm not kidding myself. I'm not trying to kid you. These are terrible choices. But so is laying someone off or scheduling them against their availability. But you've already made your decision. You've already made your choice. And just like the Lady Morella in Babylon 5 said, you're saying that you have no choice just to comfort yourself over a decision you've already made. I even think of the movie Alien 3, a wildly divisive film that came out in 1992. I remember seeing this one in the theater when it came out. It's got some absolutely iconic scenes. One of them is, again, spoiler alert here if you, if you haven't seen the movie, but Ripley 
kills herself to stop the xenomorph embryonic queen from being unleashed. I was shocked when this happened. And I remember my dad telling me that she had no choice. If she didn't do this, the queen would have been able to establish itself and ultimately destroy humanity. But again, I say she did have a choice. She could have let the Wayland yutani Corporation get the queen. Welcome to Wayland yutani She could have escaped and let the queen bust out and then be on its own. I mean, both choices would have been extinction-level events, most likely, but they are indeed choices. So here's my unique call to action on this one. I want you to take that phrase out of your vocabulary. There is always a choice, always. Just sometimes the decision you make is the best or the most right out of a series of really, really bad ones. And a really, really bad decision that a lot of, specifically those of us in leadership positions, make is not taking care of ourselves And not just getting enough sleep and staying home when we're sick, kind of taking care of ourselves. I'm talking about real self-care. The World Health Organization defines self-care as the ability of individuals, families, and communities to promote health, prevent disease, maintain health, and cope with illness and disability with or without the support of a health worker. Oh, wow. That is a lot to chew on. So let me break it down just a little bit more for you. Self-care is, and this will be kind of mind-blowing, self-care is taking care of yourself. Getting enough sleep and staying home when you're sick is definitely a part of that. But so is eating right, exercising, and generally taking care of yourself. But not just your physical self. Self-care addresses so many other dimensions of you, right? Your mental, your emotional, your spiritual selves. So, like, that's it. That's self-care. Simple, right? Just take care of yourself and you've checked that box. Congratulations. But if it's so simple, why do I need to talk about it here? And why isn't everyone doing it? That answer might honestly be pretty complex and it dives into our unhealthy obsession with work. The fact that we tend to equate personal value with our professional successes, right? The impression that some people have that needing care is a sign of weakness and that perception of weakness is unacceptable, right? But here's the thing. The reality is it takes strengths. It takes courage to know what you need for yourself and to go get it. This episode of Voyager gives us a very extreme example. Seven of Nine tends to practice a lot of personal restrictions. It's not often that I indulge myself like that. Some might call this self-discipline. But the doctor thinks of it more as self-deprivation. Neither here is necessarily wrong, but neither is really right either. Part of self-care is enjoying what the world has to offer. Absolutely. That can be nature, music, and yes, even cheesecake sometimes. But another part of self-care is moderation, self-regulation. Having a slice of cheesecake as opposed to an entire cheesecake, for example. Now, I got to pause here because what I don't want you to hear is that eating cheesecake is self-care. They just talked about it in the episode. It's an example and an example that illustrates some of the misconceptions around self-care also. It's not self-indulgent. It's not selfish to practice self-care. And as the episode shows at the end, really, it's about taking time away 
from the day-to-day to experience something. For Seven and the Doctor, it's time together, with her basically making a live mukbang video for him. Now let's do a quick recap of the self-care stuff so far. So Jeff says you need to do it. Do it. And that it means taking time away from your day-to-day. He also said it can involve cheesecake, but not an entire cheesecake. If you're at all like me, that's interesting, not quite enough. So let's dive in into why self-care is important and specifically why it's important for leaders. One of the biggest benefits is managing stress. When you practice good self-care, you can better handle the stresses that come with leadership. You're able to see the bigger picture more clearly and not get bogged down in the weeds. This happens because your mind will be more open to seeing all the angles. It also helps you recognize and enforce your boundaries and your barriers. It builds self-confidence. It reinforces self-esteem. Both of those are critical for effective leadership. Practicing good self-care naturally builds an attitude of gratitude. And yeah, that might be a little cliche-ish, but it's also a very real thing that actual for real science shows us makes you a happier person. Oh, I got a whole new attitude, a lifetime subscription to gratitude. Finally, this practice, when done by you as the leader, encourages the people you work with to do the same. They'll also enjoy these benefits, which ultimately results in a higher quality of work on a more consistent basis. So, you in? Do you get it? I mean, to belabor the point, the opposite is all true if you don't practice good self-care. Stress will build up. You're going to put blinders on. You won't be able to pause and see the bigger picture, so you're going to lose sight of what you're working for. It's no good. But but how do you actually get into the practice of self-care? Big caveat before I dive into this. The real answer to this question is entirely up to you. Only you are going to know what's effective and what isn't. Now that said, lean on your trusted people, your colleagues, mentors, friends, significant others, people that know you and can help you find the practices that work for you. If you look in the show notes, you'll see a link to a document from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. This goes into great detail on overall wellness and how practicing good self-care impacts that. It's an easy read, and I highly recommend it. So, so let's hit the highlights. Our overall wellness is multidimensional, and all dimensions must be cared for. Those dimensions are emotional, spiritual, intellectual, physical, environmental, financial, occupational, and social. You can see how these all overlap and influence each other. If my occupational wellness, for example, isn't very good, meaning, I don't know, like maybe I'm underemployed, there can be a direct impact to my financial and even my intellectual wellness. The document goes on to share ideas on how to address each dimension of wellness, and some of them make really good self-care. I'll give some examples here, okay? Physical wellness focuses on nutrition exercise, and sleep, along with other things. But these three are a great and relatively easy way to start a great practice of self-care. Intellectual wellness practices include brain exercises and games. 
Financial wellness is harder from a self-care perspective, but the one thing this document brings up that I encourage as much as I can is to avoid debt when possible. A great environmental wellness practice is to get outside. Give yourself a change of scenery. A few years ago, I started plugging my headset into my phone and taking meetings while I went for a walk. It doesn't just get me out of the house, but it also gets me some exercise and it helps keep the meeting on topic because frankly, I'm a little more eager to complete that meeting and focus on the walk. Spiritual wellness will, of course, be very personal, but this can look like meditation, prayer, maybe even study. Social wellness practices really boil down to meaningful interactions with other people. In workplaces, I've seen walking clubs, gaming clubs, and other groups that meet on breaks or lunches, maybe before or after work, to spend time together. From a self-care perspective, occupational wellness, to me, comes down to two categories. First, is your job satisfying the things you want to do? Does it fill your bucket? I'll share a quick story on that in a minute. But second, are you balancing your work time with your personal and self-care time? Finally, emotional wellness. The SAMHSA document literally lists self-care as a thing to do for this but it also offers journaling, yoga, and social interactions. So there are a handful of examples right there of self-care that address directly the eight dimensions of wellness. Again, yes, these take time, but they are a no-lose investment. And if you're thinking any of this sounds selfish or self-indulgent, Listen to the doctor. When did it become a crime to enjoy a sensation or two? I said I was going to share a quick story. A few years ago, I was assigned to a position for a very administrative team. It was to be a short-term assignment, but there was a lot going on. So my supervisor, who was the chief administrative officer, and I were meeting regularly. He was so keyed in to my occupational wellness, he would regularly ask me if the job was keeping me happy and filling my bucket. I always loved that phrase. He knew that these administrative tasks the team was responsible for wasn't high up on my list of interests, and he ensured that I was finding a way to stay occupationally well. And I was. I was able to make a real difference in the work lives of the people on that team, and that is absolutely what fills my bucket. So know that taking care of yourself, practicing self-care, is critical in being an effective leader. It takes time away from the tasks right in front of you but it makes you better at accomplishing those tasks. Self-care is a necessary investment that absolutely pays off. And while the doctor says, Indulgences are what make life worth living! Shh, that's not really what this is all about. I would take his assessment and tweak it just a little bit and say that self-care is what makes life rewarding. I'm going to come right out and say it. No beating around the bush here at all. If you are not subscribed to the Starfleet Leadership Academy mailing list, you are really missing out. You can click the link in the show notes or visit starfleetleadership.academy to sign up. My immediate promise is to you, I will not abuse your trust. I will not fill up your inbox and I will offer value in what I send. I hate when my inbox is full of garbage or emails just trying to get me to buy something, I will not do that to you. Here's what will happen. 
you're going to sign up and you're going to get access to this really cool tool that I developed based on the 30th episode of the podcast where we watch Discoveries Choose Your Pain. Saru asked the computer to rate his leadership, and I thought that was great. So I adapted it into a document that you can use for yourself and for your teams. After that, there's a short series of emails you're going to get sporadically over the next few months introducing you to other aspects of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, like the blog and Patreon. Outside of that welcome series, I send an email every other week along with each episode that often adds to the discussion in the podcast. I also share other podcasts, videos, blogs, articles that I think you're going to find interesting and valuable as well. So click the link in the show notes or visit starfleetleadership.academy and join the mailing list today. And when you do, let me know. I'm on Mastodon and Twitter at SFLA Podcast and on Instagram at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in Tuvox Faithfulness, A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. It's a two-parter, and for two-parters, we watch both of them. The 26th episode of the fourth season, and the first episode of the fifth season of The Next Generation, Redemption, parts one and two. The Klingon Empire is on the brink of civil war, and it's up to Worf and his brother to make sure everything ends up okay. These episodes get pretty wild, and a lot happens, including Data taking command of a starship. It's going to be exciting to watch this one with you. And until then, Ex Astra Scientia! Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.